Good morning and, and welcome again. And uh, I'm grateful for your being here and sharing this morning. We celebrate Holy Communion a little bit later and sharing in Christ's presence through the uh, sacrament a little bit later in our worship. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours today from God our Father, from our Lord, and from our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Whenever one hears a story or a narrative, or even one listens, or whether it's on the radio, you read the story, you see the story, most of us know that behind that story is something frequently left unspoken. We think of it as the rest of the story. In the journalism industry and media, it's referred to as the backstory, what led to the narrative and led to the telling of that story. I want to point out just one slight difference as I talk with you this morning about this passage from Luke and about our journey together, and it's this. Several weeks ago, I had used the illustration of those of us who were on this journey together being tourists, disciples, or pilgrims, some of us being one of those, some of us being all three of those categories of people on a journey. When we tell our stories or communicate it to other people, it's possible we can do so as reporters who simply report the facts. This morning I'd like to talk with you, however, about not being reporters, but about being storytellers, and there are three levels to that story that I'm going to mention a little bit later. I've mentioned also in the last two weeks, and I'd used with you in really for my own effort of trying to do the best I can to understand how it is that we can work together over these next months. The illustration that we are indeed, with my being here now, on a journey together that leads out to Christ Church as being able to extend an invitation to a pastor sometime out in the future. And I describe that experience as a journey with three characteristics. First of all, that we journey with Jesus. In the second place, we journey together. And the third place, that we journey with purpose. So that is the backstory to what I'd like to ask you to think pray about and listen to this morning in our time together. And I'd like to use the framework this morning in talking about storytelling with three points. First of all, is God's story. Second is your story, the story that I would tell that you could tell. And the third is our story, the stories that are shared. I'd like to begin simply by talking with you a little bit about God's story. And that story can begin in any number of places, and 
if the Bible is nothing else, if it is, if it's nothing else, it is an incredible collection of narratives that have a consistent thread and which tell us about in narrative manner, peppered of course with some great non-narratives like the Psalms, some books of Revelation, but craft a marvelous narrative of the manner in which God is a central and significant part of the lives of people that we know now as history. Whether it's in the Old Testament, and who has not been charmed by the story of the journey of Abraham to Canaan, by the stories of the patriarchs of Jacob and his twelve sons and the sojourn in Egypt, and the stories of the Exodus and the miracles and the frustrations that Moses, it goes on and on and on. Or the Gospels themselves, the four Gospels, which simply are not just a biography, they are the stories of Jesus and our Lord's interaction and engagement with a vast and varying population of people. And in the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel, subsequent to verses that I had spoken with you about the two past weeks, comes this narrative, this part of the narrative of Jesus, his disciples, and their journey to Jerusalem. And now there's a shift, and it sounds like this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and every place where he was about to go. If you read the rest of this 10th chapter, you will eventually get out to a verse that sounds like this. After the 72 return and tell Jesus what's happened on their journey. The 72 in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Do you think they sounded surprised? I think they did. They never expected that. And what is not reported in this section, in this narrative, however, is what they did. Jesus told them what they should do about accepting hospitality. But I think that they did what all of us would do on any journey. We start talking with each other and we start telling our stories. And the story that the disciples, these 72 apostles told, probably is not recorded in, the, well, it isn't in this section from Luke chapter 10. But what we know is something compelling must have taken place wherever they were out there in the towns and villages that gave them the capacity to be able even to cast out demons. And they were empowered as a result of not just listening to Jesus, but also being able to tell their own stories. In this season of interim ministry at Christ Church, I hope that all of us will be able 
to get in touch with the story that each of us has about our relationship to God's story. To be able to understand that narrative, shape that narrative, and share that narrative with each other so that my story, your story, becomes the shared story. And when that moment arrives sometime out here in the future, months away, when prospective pastors arrive in this congregation, I am almost confident, almost confident, that one of those people will ask this question. Can you tell me your story? And what we know is that any group of people or any individual who can tell his or her or their story with authenticity, with genuine understanding and awareness, is able to reflect the character, the life, the vitality, the joys, the disappointments, the struggles, not only one's own life, but of a shared community as well. And I am convinced that our Lord knew that because of how he went about his ministry of teaching and preaching and telling stories, which invited anyone who heard them to think that, that could be my story and get in touch with it. The date was December the 23rd, some years ago. It was clearly the day before Christmas Eve. And I needed a story. I dreadfully needed a story. Because I knew that on Christmas Eve, the day after, at around 5 o'clock in the evening, when I was in the congregation that I was then serving, there would be about 100 small children wired for Christmas, having been fed candy and who knows what all, in the course of the day, down in the front of the sanctuary with me, and they would expect something they what they were expecting was this. Pastor Rogi, do you have a story to tell us? Which was actually less important than the other thing that they knew that I would do is I would give them boxes of Cracker Jacks. But the story went with the Cracker Jacks. But on this day, on the 23rd of December, I had no story to tell. I had looked, I had uh, scoured the church library, I'd called, I'd written, I'd googled. No story. Now there are about 40 million stories out there. If you google Christmas story, that's about how many hits it will provide. But none of them was in some of the books I simply did not have access to on the day before Christmas Eve. I had no story to tell. I had no story to read. And so what I knew was that, and because I'd met him some, some months earlier, was a man who was a storyteller, and he made a living out of telling stories and teaching storytelling in the Puget Sound area. He lived over in Gig Harbor, and so I called him, and I said, and I, I do not remember his name now. I said, 
It's pastor Barry Rogge. Um, I'm a parish pastor. I've got, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people coming to church tomorrow. I've got a hundred little kids. I need a Christmas story. Can you, do you have a Christmas story that you can give me? Send me, fax me, email me. I need a story. And by the way, I am willing to pay, and I'm willing to pay well for the story. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was silence at the end. He's a very gentle man. There was silence on the other end, and he said this. I don't have one. And he kind of suggested, even if I had one, I wouldn't give it to you. <laughs> or sell it to you. Because he said this to me. You need, Pastor Rogi, to know, first of all, in yourself, in your heart, what is your story? And if I send you a story, or if you get one, and it's not your story, it simply will not be authentic. And so I imagined then myself sitting in the front of the sanctuary in the church with these hundred little kids, telling a story that they really didn't care about and which I was just reporting, which I did not own. Now, by now, it's 5 o'clock or so on the 23rd. And I know that there's going to be no way to find a story on the 24th. So I have to come up with a story. It gets to be noon the next day, and I still don't have a story. Finally, it came to me. What was the story? So when the kiddies arrived and they finally got settled down in the front and I sat on a chair, the story that I told was a story that I knew. And it was a story from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And you know that as begins with these words. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. And Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth in Galilee to register at the city of David, which was called Bethlehem. And that was the story. Not the slightest bit original, but it was the most compelling and powerful story. And if I didn't own many stories, I own that one. If it's not your story, you cannot tell it with any authenticity or with any believability. I'll tell you another story. And it's a movie, a recent movie was based on this story, and I'll tell you the name of the movie later. I forgot to tell it at early church, but I'll try to remember. If I forget, remind me. But the story is about a man named Felix Brazil. He was an old hermit who had been a hermit for more than 40 years. And he lived in what we would think of as a shack, although he built it himself up in the hills of East Tennessee. And Felix, early when he was a young man, 40 years earlier, had been involved in an event that caused him a huge amount of guilt, and it also led to the deaths of two people. 
Felix, you see, had been uh, an adulterer and had gotten into an affair with a married woman. And one evening, he got caught, he and the woman, by her husband. Apparently, there was a lot of violence, and for some reason, the house caught on fire. Felix, fearing for his own safety above all else, fled. The house burned. The two people died in the fire. For 40 years, Felix lived isolated up in the hills. But one of the things that happens when someone never tells the story, and he was the only one living who knew the story by now. If the story is never told, you know what happens? People start to make up the story that they want to believe. And so they did. And it sounded like this. Felix was a violent man. He was a thief. He was a sexual predator. He was violent. The stories went on and on, and there was no telling the difference any longer between truth and reality, between who Felix was and who people thought that he was. And Felix knew that, and 40 years as he approached his 72nd year, he decides to do something that he believes had never been done before. He decided to have his own funeral but he would be there and he would be very much alive. And so he did. He began planning for the funeral, built a casket, handcrafted, dovetailed joints. That's how intricate it was. And then he knew, when he went to the funeral director to help him plan, he knew he had to do certain things. The funeral director said, what do you want to do this for? This is crazy. Nobody plans their own funeral and, and goes to it, alive anyway. And this is what he said. I want to hear the stories. And the funeral director said, what stories? And he said, you know, the ones about me, the ones that people tell. I don't know what they are, but he knew that the way that he got treated when he went to town because of the stories they told. And now old Felix wants to hear them. And then he says this. He says, you know, I'm going to have to tell my own story or somebody's going to have to tell it because if I don't tell my own story, other people will tell it. And they've been telling it for a lot of years and it just may not be true. And so off he goes to go visit his old pastor in a town some distance away. He goes into the church, meets the old pastor, and he says, Pastor, whoever it was, he says, I want you to come to my funeral and tell my story. Because the pastor knew because Felix had confessed to him what he had done. And Felix begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded and cajoled and said, Pastor, will you come and tell my story? Because I can't tell it. And the old pastor said this, No, I can't tell it either, Felix. You have to tell it yourself. <laughs>
So he left then, knowing that the pastor was not going to bail him out of this. He'd staged his funeral. The people were coming. The stories would be told. And so that day, when the whole town is gathered, hundreds of people are gathered, the microphone is set up, the music has stopped, the food has been shared, and the stories are about to be told. And the funeral director goes to the microphone and he says, we're here for Felix's funeral. And Felix, of course, is sitting there. Would anybody like to tell a story about Felix? Nobody came. Not one. He asks again, aren't there some stories? No, no stories. Now you see what's happened? Felix has to tell his story. And so he stands up that day in front of this gathered town, and he tells the story. If you and I had heard it, we would have thought of it as confession. We would have thought of it as confession. Felix eventually dies. He's buried in the casket. But he has told his story. Robert McKee is a writer who teaches people how to write screenplays. He's very well-known. He has been the teacher for many, many well-known screenwriters in the motion picture industry. He says this about motion pictures that are successful, and his version of success is not only profitable, but authentic. He says every, every motion picture that is of any memorable, has any memorable quality, will always have a theme of redemption a theme of redemption. Whether it's God's story, whether it's your story, or whether it's our story, when those stories are shared here in our midst, we know there is a theme of redemption. And I suspect that among all of you gathered here on this day, in this place, at this moment, you can be thinking right now about the story that you could tell. I'm not suggesting you want to tell it, but you know the story that you could tell. And it might be one of joy and exhilaration and excitement and enthusiasm and vitality and surprise at something or some things you have done and experienced which have shaped and changed your life. And I know enough about churches also that the story might not have all of those characteristics. It might be sad and tragic and wrenching and difficult and painful. And as hard as it might be to believe and to know and to accept, isn't this the place? Once you have the language and the words to tell your story, to know your story, to own your story, isn't this the place where the stories could be shared? Because your story becomes our story is God's story.
I mentioned a few minutes ago that part of this narrative, not just for these next 28 days, but into the future, means our coalescing these stories, being able to tell them together, share them together. And this invitation to 28 days of prayer, I hope, might be one manner in which the doors are opened. In which, through prayer and reflection, you find it possible to own the stories that are in your hearts. And there is that point at which that story becomes the shared story. I cannot tell you, I have no words to describe, how compelling and how rich those narratives can become in the life of a community of faith. Neither can I tell you how enthusiastically any of us who are pastors are touched by the power and the richness and the authenticity of all of those stories that are shared by a faith community. And if in the coming months my time with you, that I get to be here, accomplishes nothing else, and I'm not very good at accomplishing a lot of things, but if we could learn to tell the stories together and listen to the stories, your story, God's story, and our story, the fabric that binds us and holds us as the people of faith in this place will be stronger than if we never spoke the stories. So we're going to continue this journey together. We're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to walk together. And we're going to walk with purpose. And what we're going to do along that way over these months is tell the stories. Keeping in mind that it's my story, your story. That it will be our story. But it will always be God's story. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, we have the threads of the narrative that are out there. We can understand a little bit about how they fit together, but only when we tell the story can we begin to do the weaving. Help us remember that, first of all, we need to hear your story. We need to own it, we need to believe it, and we need to tell it. Give us the words, the capacity, the framework, the narrative that strengthens us by the telling, strengthens our community by the sharing, and binds us to you in your story. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.